So what I'm going to do today, this is going to be a different kind of sermon. All right. I'm going to let you preach the sermon for the most part because it's Christmas. I'm on vacation. Um, now, we, we want to, we're going to look at the book of John. And particularly, we're going to look at five uh, women. Actually, six, but two of them are sisters. They get grouped together. That happens to sisters. Um, but we want, to, we want to look at five women in the book of John. Now, we know from later on in the Gospel of John that John was entrusted with the care of Mary, the mother of Jesus, when Jesus was crucified. Um, we, see, we see that in John chapter 19. And so John has a unique insight. He has the insight of someone who knows her uh, well. Now, I, I wanna, I'm, I'm not going to spend too much on this kind of side tangent. We can talk about it another time. But when you actually look at the relationships of all of the disciples, it actually may be, and, and it's not completely sure, but it, it may be that James and John, the disciples, um, who are cousins of Simon, Peter, and Andrew, may also have been cousins of Jesus. Um, Mary, uh, Mary has a sister named Mary. Um, now, that's weird in and of itself. But Mary has a sister named Mary that may be related to or married into James and John's family. And what we get from the disciples, we kind of get from the 12 disciples, for the most part, many of them are interrelated. They're cousins or they're friends or they're, they're connected. Um, so, so John may have had some kind of familial uh, responsibility to take care of Mary. I don't really know. Um, I don't think we ever could know for sure whether this is true or not. But clearly, John is uh, Jesus's um, kind of uh, favorite of the favorites. Jesus doesn't play favorites, but if he did, John is the one um, who's his favorite. When John refers to himself in the gospel, he always refers to himself as the beloved one, as the, the, the loved disciple. Um, and, uh, and John is young. Uh, John is probably 16 to 25, maybe, um, probably earlier in that age. When he starts to follow Jesus, he's probably the youngest of the disciples. And so the closest to Mary's age. Um, now, Mary, Mary was a teenager and Jesus is 30. So I, I mean her age when she uh, gave birth to Jesus, um, because she's probably in her 40s at this point. Um, Jesus is, is in his 30s when he ministers. If she's a teenager, she's in her 40s, um, which makes her actually, believe it or not. And I don't mean this to be insulting to any women in the room, but made her an old woman in those days. Um, most women did not live past about the age of 35. It was just uh, what you did. Um, and, and you were a grandmother by then a lot of times. So, um, so it's a very different culture. Um, and we don't know exactly what happened with Mary, but it seems like she actually lived well into her 60s, possibly her 70s. Um, she, she lived quite a, quite a time after Jesus' resurrection. But John has insight into Mary and her, and he has a, a deep relationship with her. And so when he goes to write his gospel, now the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, those are called the synoptics. Uh, synoptic means they see together. So if you read, if you've ever read through the Bible and you read Matthew, and then you started reading Mark, you started going, this looks a lot familiar. It looks like he plagiarized the first one. And then you read Luke, and you're like, now wait a second. How did no one notice these guys are telling the same stories? So they're called the synoptics. Um, they see together. John is very different. Uh, Matthew is probably written around, probably written around 40 uh, A.D. Um, and this is, these are all guesses. Mark probably comes uh, last. Luke probably was written next, probably in the 60s. And then Mark is probably written 
sometime in the 60s. And then the, the, the Gospel of John, and I have this weird theory that the Gospel of John is actually the last thing that John writes. So John writes 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, the letters. Then he, write, he writes the Revelation, and then he writes the Gospel. So um, I'm going to push John all the way out to like 95, 98 uh, AD. Now, there are people that disagree with me on that. That's okay. Um, they're probably smarter than me, and they're probably right. But, um, but I, I, I like to think that John's Gospel is written with the Revelation kind of in his head. So John sits down to write his Gospel. And he sits down to write not just a story. And it's important that you understand, these are not stories, they're Gospels. That's a di- they're different things. A Gospel is told for a specific reason. To magnify or glorify a specific part of the life of the person that it is written about. So Matthew talks about uh, Jesus, in ex- he's the God in exile, or he's the king in exile. Mark talks about uh, Jesus as uh, the, the superior to Caesar. It's a big thing in Mark. There's a lot of uh, opposition to the Roman system. Luke talks about Jesus as uh, the savior of the world and the fulfillment of all of the prophecies and predictions and promises of all good things, all messianic things. When John sits down to write the gospel, he is unequivocal that his argument is going to be Jesus is the son of God and the savior of the world. Apparently there had been some debate as to whether Jesus was the son of God. John decides to just go ahead and take care of that issue. And so he builds a legal case. John's gospel is structured like a legal argument. He argues and argues and argues and he uses narrative. It's called an argument in the narrative. Um, He uses narrative to make specific points about Jesus' life. That means that every single person that is included in the Gospel of John is included for a very specific reason. They're not just randomly thrown there as interesting characters. Um, John had a, a wealth, a whole lifetime of stories from the church, from people who had been there to draw from. He draws very specific narratives that mo- for the most part do not appear in the other three Gospels to make specific points. So we want to look at just the women today. So the first place we're going to look is Mary. John chapter 2. Now the Gospel of John chapter 2. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus was also invited to the wedding with his disciples. Now, I always imagine that what that meant was this is one of Mary's relatives. Jesus got invited because he had to be. They're like, do we have to invite him? He's got all these disciples. They eat all the food. They're smelly fishermen, Um, but he's... Jesus is invited with his disciples. And verse 3, the wine ran out. And the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. Now, this is your part. Why does Mary go to Jesus with this question? Why does Mary go to Jesus and say, there's no wine? Does she think he's got a stash? Like, Simon, Peter, bring out the bags. You know, they get box wine in the back of the cart. I mean, I don't know what's going on. Why do you think, why do you think that Mary goes to Jesus? All right, she knew who he was and what he could do. He's the oldest son. All right, his responsibility to take care of his mother. She clearly needed 
wine. All right, so, all right. It, not, a, not an invalid argument. He's, he's her oldest son. May have been the oldest male at the wedding. All right, other thoughts? She has something to do with the couple. She, she could have been uh, a sponsor of it. Could have actually been her daughter. Now that, that'll throw, throw you for a loop that this could have been one of her daughters. All right. Okay. Responding to a divine impulse. She's protecting whoever is responsible for it. Could have been one of her nephews who didn't plan appropriately because some of her other nephews drink a little bit more. Uh, It could also be, and these are all great points, and I'm not going to give you a definitive answer, although personally I think it's because it was her daughter's wedding. Um, uh, But there is this thing that Jesus shows up with a bunch of extra people. And so the argument is, well, BYOB. Right, B-Y-O-W, all right? Or it's, it's Greek, so we have to call it by its Greek name, so it's just B-Y-O-O. Right? <laughs> um, but uh, they say, you know, she's like, well, do you guys have anything that you could contribute? Um, but she definitely asks, she goes to Jesus because, like Lori said, she knows who he is, all right? Now, this might blow up your vision of Jesus a little bit, but I happen to actually believe Jesus enjoyed a good party. All right. He's always showing up at places that get crowded out like a frat, like a like, the you know, the parents are away and they throw a party in the movies. Right. And all the kids are there. He's always at these things. And there's people eating and people. Can, I mean, at one one of the parties, I mean, how crazy does this party get at one of the parties? A bunch of guys tear the roof off and lower a lame guy down through the ceiling. And that's a crazy party. Jesus, Jesus tends to gravitate towards celebration. He likes to be a part of the celebration. And and so often we think that Jesus is all about quenching or quenching any partying or, you know, it's, oh, it's a, you know, it's, it's the, the common joke. It's like, is it a, is it a wedding or is it a church wedding? The church wedding, there's going to be no fun. I mean, when I got married, just to be honest, raised by a fundamentalist Baptist pastor, I got married. We had no music, no dancing and no alcohol at my reception. And it was like, I don't know how long it actually was. It felt like it was about 18 years long. All right. Because um, we we're just sitting there going, can these people leave, please? They've spent all they were bad chicken. Let's just get out of here. Um, I, and, and, you know, in reflection, I really wish my in-laws had just given us money to buy a house. But, um, but you know, the, the, Jesus gravitates to these things. And I think Mary knows who he is. She knows his personality. She knows uh, the, the responsibilities. I think all of these fit in. And she challenges it. She says to him, and Jesus says in verse 4, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. And, and people get all that he insults her when he says woman. This is actually a, a highly formal way to refer to someone you respect. So it's not like, woman! All right, that's not what he's saying. All right, that's not how he's talking. He's, this, is, this is giving her reverence. And verse 5, his mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now, what does that say about Mary? What? He's capable. What does it say about Mary? She trusts him. 
She's in charge. Yeah. All right. She's in charge. She turns around and says, I love, I mean, I love Mary. I mean, Mary, Mary is a kind of a bossy lady. Um, but she, she turns around and she goes, do whatever he says. And they go, okay. Now, by the way, what they actually do when he turns the water to the wine, the water that he turns to wine is the water that's reserved for, for washing your hands. It's a ritual bathing water. It's, it's a, a purifying water. You're supposed to go wash your hands. And Jews do this a lot. And if you, you know, everybody should wash their hands before they eat. But um, they, they would ritually purify their hands. They would purify everything before they ate. He turns that, that into wine. He takes a solemn purification ritual turns it into a party. Um, but, uh, it, you know, it tells, us, it tells us a lot about Mary, right? Anybody else? All right, she has faith in him. She she believes he's going to... He just said, my hour is not yet come. That sounds like a no. Doesn't that sound like a no? Right? It's like, he's like, woman! No, he didn't. And he says, he says, you know, it's not time. It's not my time. And she says, just do whatever... He, she knows he's going to do something. She knows... He, Jesus never went to a party that there, there wasn't... You know, that if there was no wine, Jesus made wine. If it was a funeral, he resurrected the person they were they were uh, burying. I mean, Jesus Jesus has knows a way to throw a party. And uh, then Jesus goes ahead and makes the water. And it tells us a lot about Mary. And I and I think that this story, which John probably relates from eyewitness account, because John was already a disciple at this point, a young man watching this woman um, be a part of what her son was doing recognizing the situation, recognizing his power, and then saying, just listen to him. Do whatever he tells you to do. Um, If there's one thing that Mary uh, teaches us, it is to know Jesus. She knows her son. She knows what he's going to do. She knows his abilities, and she trusts him. She trusts him to do the right thing. There could be a whole sermon on that. I'll let you write it for Christmas Eve. The second woman that that appears in John's gospel appears in John chapter 4. Many of you know the story of the woman of Samaria. Uh, a woman who had been married so many times she couldn't keep track. A woman who goes and gets water in the middle of the day, which means she's disgraced. Jesus, uh, they're journeying through Samaria. They're not supposed to be there. Uh, Torah observant Jews go around Samaria because Samarians are ew. Um, and, uh, and he's walking through. He stops at the well of Sychar, um, which had been dug by Joseph years and years and years ago, or Jacob years and years and years ago. Um, he's sitting at the well. This woman comes. They have a conversation. I'm not going to read the whole conversation. Um, I just want to get to something that she says after the conversation. Jesus, in chapter 4, and verse 16, Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. Um, And the woman answered, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband, for you've had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. Now, at that moment, I actually picture her going. Um, But Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming again. A reverence, not woman, all right, but woman believe. He's showing respect to a woman that does not deserve the respect, okay? He is a single Jewish rabbi encountering a woman who is considered filthy by everybody, including the people 
that the Jews consider filthy. And he shows her respect and calls her woman. He says, woman, he says, the, the, uh, the, our fathers worship, verse 20, on the mountain. But you say that in Jerusalem, she has this whole conversation. He says in verse 22, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming. Remember, my hour is not come. Remember when he said that to Mary? The hour is coming and is now here. When true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit. Those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. And the woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said, I speak to you. I who speak to you am he. Jesus very openly makes the claim to be the Christ. And his disciples show up and they marvel that they're talking with a woman. What do you seek? Why are you talking with her? Because they're Jews. They don't like her. The woman left her water jar and went away. Now, I want you to I want you to see the dramatic effect of what is happening here. The disciples show up. They're obviously looking at her with these condescending. What's she doing here? Why is she here? She sees them. She leaves her water jar and walks away. Now, most of us confronted with that, would go, oh, well, that was an interesting conversation. It's all over now. I'll get the water jar after those Jews have left. But what does she do? Verse 29, her words, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? What was it that made this woman go from confronting this guy about being a Jew and all the conversation they have to going to everybody and asking them. Now, understand what she's saying. She is not asking them to answer. She's not going, can this be the Christ? And everybody goes, well, let's check the checklist and see if he can be the Christ. She is challenging them, saying, you go see him because I believe he is the Christ. I believe he is the Messiah. I believe that he is the one. What changed in this woman that she goes from challenging Jesus to calling others to follow him? What changes? If you're familiar with this story, think about it. All right, women feel invisible, and he sees her. He sees her. He knows her. And isn't it fascinating that for a woman that's had five husbands and is with a guy that's not her husband then, she encounters a man who has no business getting to know with her, getting to know her. He has zero interest in her in that way and is only interested in her salvation. He sees her. He sees her needs. He sees all the longing, all the brokenness. He sees through her. And I believe when he sees her as she is. And I can't prove this, but the way that he talks, it seems to be this way. He smiles at her. He loves her. He cares for her. He sees her. He's not interested in anything he can get from her, only that she recognizes who he is. And in that moment, she realizes this guy is something else. She comes to know him, although not with the same background as Mary did. She comes to see him for who he is. 
the rabbi, the uh, the disciples, by the way, still don't see him for who he is. Because what do they do? They run her off. And then they go, this is my favorite. They run her off and then they go, Rabbi, are you hungry? Like now we got rid of the rabble. Jesus is like, don't you, don't you see what I'm doing here? Don't you understand? They don't. They don't get it. But she does. Can this be the Christ? Third woman. I'll move through relatively quickly. John chapter 8. There's a whole argument about whether this passage belongs in the Gospel of John or not. Uh, Some early copies of the Gospel of John don't have it in it. Um, I actually think that it was removed in those copies um, because it is so controversial. This is not something the Messiah should be doing. John chapter 8 is the story of a woman caught in adultery. The Jewish leaders find this woman, unnamed woman. We have no idea who she is, although I do believe that John knew her name. And I believe that she was actually part of the church. I think that he saw this in person and he also knew this woman. But chooses to keep her name out of the gospel because um, because doesn't want people looking at her, uh, looking down at her if she's still alive. The, 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 uh, the leaders, they come to him, they say, Rabbi, in verse 4, teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? In verse 6, this, this they said to test him. I've always found it interesting that they don't bring the guy. This they said to test him that they might bring, have some charge to bring against him. Because they could say, well, Jesus doesn't want to follow the law. He's not willing to stone this woman caught in adultery. Jesus says, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone. And once more, he bent down and rode on the ground. When they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones, because they're always the smarter ones. The young guys are sitting around with rocks in their hands. And then finally, Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. I want you to catch that. Who's not there? Disciples. They left too. Jesus is alone with this woman. And he stands up and he says to her, woman, again, showing respect to a woman that doesn't deserve it in their society. Where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. She shows respect back to him. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go and from now on, sin no more. What's packed into her response? No one, Lord. Think about that. Think about it. Right? She calls him Lord. She knows who he is. Again, she knows him in that moment by his actions. Do you know that he, as a rabbi, had the power to condemn her? She could have said, I didn't do it. That's why they left. She doesn't, because she's guilty. Who condemns you? And I think he smiles at her. And she says, no one, Lord. He says, That's right. Because I'm the one with the power to condemn. And I don't condemn you. She is known by him. He knows her. 
I think Jesus was one of those people. If you've ever met somebody that the moment that they meet you, they look into your soul. They know you at a deeper layer level. And now take that and amp it up to a thousand. And that's Jesus. His understanding of who you are, his ability to see through you and to ask questions that immediately get to the heart of whatever situation she encounters Jesus. Now, a lot of people argue about what he's writing in the sand. Um, I, I actually have a theory that he's writing um, the question, does anyone condemn you for her? I don't think he's interested in the rest of the guys. I think he's writing for her. I think he's writing something just for her. And she stands up and she says, I'm not condemned. So we've got these, these two women, these two unnamed women. Then we get two named women in John chapter 11, Mary and Martha. Lazarus was one of Jesus' best friends. He took care of Jesus. He had a house at Bethany. Lazarus was probably a very wealthy man, very rich man. Um, he, has a, he has a tomb, a significant family tomb that his body is laid in when he dies. He has two sisters, Mary and Martha. Now, the stories about Mary and Martha from the other Gospels do not appear in John's Gospel. All that happens in John's Gospel is Lazarus dies, Jesus goes to the funeral, and you know what happens when Jesus goes to a funeral. He's going to raise the guy from the dead. So to make sure everybody has no doubts about it, he waits for three days. Why three days? Um, Because he's going to be resurrected in three days. Why three days? Because three days is how long you wait to make sure the person is actually dead. Okay, you go, what? Yeah, it's people sometimes can look dead and not be dead. I mean, just look at a teenager on the couch with YouTube. All right. So Jesus waits to make sure that he's dead. He goes and it says and he he goes back in verse five, uh, chapter 11, verse five. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. I love that Mary doesn't even get a name like all these Marys and she doesn't get a name until later. So when he heard that Lazarus is ill, he stayed two days. Then they're all dead. Um, and all of this stuff, our fed Lazarus has fallen asleep. In verse 11, he tells them that he's died. And then in verse 17, when Jesus came, so Jesus is headed toward the place. A, Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. So he waited three days to leave. All right. And then he walks it's this fourth day. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. Many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. Well, you know what happens whenever the Jews show up to do something. Jesus is going to contradict them. And when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Now, that's a callback to what happens in the other Gospels. I don't have time for that. But Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, I'm going to get back to the rest of it, but I want to go down to verse 28. When she had had this, when she had said this and this whole conversation that we're going to come back to, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and he's calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. And Jesus had not yet come to the village, but they were still a play. They were but was still in the place where Martha had met him. Um, when Jesus tends to be sitting down when he's going to have a conversation with people, when Jesus who were with him in the house, the Jews who were with him in the house, consoling her, saw Mary quickly rise and go out. They followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to weep there so they could finish their job. And when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and she said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. So Martha and Mary say the same thing to Jesus, right? Martha said something else. 
Lord, go back to verse 21. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. She's saying that to him. Does that echo Mary's words from chapter 2? Whatever he tells you to do, you do it. Lord, I know that whatever you ask of God, it will happen. I know that whatever you do, he's like, I know that if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. What's the difference between Mary and Martha in this situation? Hope? Faith? You think that Mary didn't know who Jesus was? Or simply that she was unwilling to put to voice the reality? Martha just dives head first into it. She goes, if you had been here, my brother would not have died, but I know who you are. Mary probably thought she knew who he was. She probably shared the same belief. But she stops short. She just goes, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. I love Jesus in this moment. All right. Jesus saw her weeping. The Jews who had come with her also weeping. He was deeply moved. The Bible actually says that the, the description of his emotion is the word that's being used is the same word used to describe a stallion as he gets worked up to go to combat, go into battle, to fight build up that power like a bull starting to stamp his foot he was deeply troubled he was deeply moved and he said where have you laid me and they show him they did they said to him this is the sisters lord come and see and the jews said, see how he loved him because he's weeping could not could not he have opened could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also kept this man from dying now if i'm martha in this situation if i'm mary i'm going oh jesus he's so sad he's going to go to the thing what do you think martha is doing she knows what's about to happen. I really believe she does. She's like, oh, boys, are you in for a show? Something is about to come. And Jesus goes to the tomb. Did I not tell you, verse 40, that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Martha's the only one who believed, was willing to put words to that belief. Now, Martha said to him, look at what Martha said. She said, whatever you ask from God, God will give you. That's why when Jesus does this, he talks to God. He says, verse 41, the Lord, Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. When he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out. By the way, Lazarus is already raised from the dead. All right. Look back. Father, I thank you that you have heard me. Jesus already raised him from the dead. He's on the other side of the door waiting for the stone to be rolled out so he can come out. When Jesus says, Lazarus, come out, Lazarus goes, my cue. And walks out the door. 
Right? Lazarus comes out and they unbind him and they let him go. Mary and Martha, look at the shared faith that these women have in Jesus all the way across the line. Mary, the Samaritan woman, right? uh, uh, the, the woman taking adultery, and now Martha. And I think Mary, but she's not willing to put words to it. Jesus knows them. They know him. And finally in chapter 20. And I'm a little over. Forgive me. There's a lot of women in the Gospel of John. Mary Magdalene. The first day of the week. John chapter 20. On the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark. Saw the stone had been taken away from the tomb. And she ran and went to Simon and Peter. Now Mary Magdalene had been a demoniac. She had been possessed of demons. Uh, the, the tradition is that the demons had driven her into prostitution. So she was reviled. She was rejected on multiple ways. Um, her last name uh, comes from Magdal. It's a town. Um, she's disregarded by everybody except the disciples and Jesus. Um, she seems to have been uh, very, very close to Jesus and the disciples. She runs and finds Simon and Peter, Simon, Simon, Peter and John, Simon, Peter and John. They run to the to the tomb. Uh, they look in. Jesus is not there. They don't know what to do with it. They leave. One of the things I've been bringing up about the women is this idea of the divine reversal. Those who should understand don't. And those who shouldn't understand do. Uh, the disciples who Jesus has been telling for years now that he is going to die and be raised from the dead. Don't know what to do with it. Mary Magdalene is standing outside of the tomb beside herself. Right? Angels appear to her. All this stuff. But on the evening of the first day. Oh, actually, I want to I want to get. Yeah. The evening of the first day. Um, actually, let's go back. Go back, back, back. Uh, verse 15. Jesus appears to her. Verse 14. Having said this, she turned around, saw Jesus standing. He, she thinks he's a gardener. Um, She's probably nearsighted. I don't know. But she, she can't tell who he is. Um, she did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her woman. OK. What's the word? Woman. He shows respect to her. Woman, why are you weeping? She said to him, they've taken away my Lord. I do not know where he laid it. And having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus. Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She supposes him to be a gardener. Sir, you have carried him away. And then he says her name. Notice how many of these women don't have names. Until Jesus talks to them. Calls her Mary. She turns around. She says in Arabic, Ramoni, which means my teacher. Jesus said to her, don't cling to me. People get on this. But verse 18 right here, Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples. What does she say? I have seen the Lord. He saw me. And I saw him. I have seen the Lord. What do we take away from these women? What sermon do these women preach to us on the journey of Jesus from son to savior? In each place that John chooses to tell these women's story, he chooses very specifically the things they say. So we can understand, first of all, that Jesus doesn't consider women to be secondary. He treats them with the same respect and love and commitment that he treats men with. Sometimes more. 
But secondly, he knows them. He knows you. Our journey with Jesus is joined with the journey of these women. The experiences that they have are the experiences that we have as we come into relationship with Jesus. As we engage, as we go through life, we go through darkness, we go through weddings, we go through rejections, we go through woman at the well moments, we go through women at the cross moments, we go through the death of Lazarus moments, Jesus knows you. Jesus knows us. That's what these women say to us. You say there's got to be more profound, a more profound idea. There's got to be a more practical idea. Is there any more profound reality than that Jesus knows you in and out? And he loves you. He loves you. He died for you. He was raised for you. He knows you better than you know yourself. All of your darkness all of your light, all of your struggles, all of your celebrations. He knows you. He knows what you need when you need it. He knows the words that you need to hear and speaks them if we would only listen. Jesus knows you. That's it. That's all I have to say.